Hi, everybody. This is Caitlin at Samson12.com, and I'm here with Jim McAfee, a board-certified clinical nutritionist. Today's episode, we're going to talk about nutrition and children. And my first question is, what are some nutrition supplements that are safe and healthy for children? The uh, children's supplements that we use are called uh, Liquivite for very young children, and it's uh, safe to start those children uh, at six months of age. Uh, you can do it even earlier, but I like to have a mother breastfeed as long as she can, optimally six months. And then uh, you can introduce the Liquivite, and as children become able to chew, there's uh, Vita Square and Vita Guard. Vita Square is a vitamin mineral. Uh, <clears throat> with some lipids, and VitaGuard is your fruit and vegetable uh, nutrients like flavonoids for uh, young children. Uh, what about fish oils, like salmon oil? When is the earliest time I can cut the capsule and, and squeeze that onto the child's tongue? You can easily do that at six months of age. Perfect. And so what about the... By the way, uh, the nice thing about having a fish oil in a gel cap is that it doesn't turn rancid and oxidize because oh. the oxidized fats aren't that good for you. So it's safe So it's it's uh, safe. That's why they use gel caps. Uh, the reason I mention that is because some of the supplements for children of fish oils are not gel capped. Interesting. And as soon as they're exposed to oxygen, they start turning rancid. That's the perfect lead into my next question, which is if you go to a grocery store... Is it safe to just purchase off the shelf any multiple or gummy for your child? Well, when you're getting gummies and things like that, uh, number one, they're usually not complete. They're usually synthetic formulations just because of what they're trying to do with the gummy. And there are certain nutrients that you can't really put in a chewable because they make it taste terrible. <laughs> like... Uh, Certain uh, zinc supplements, for example, can have a terrible taste. And uh, the fish oils have a bad taste, too. Wow. So that's helpful. Um, it helps to talk to a nutritionist about these things for your child. So what role does nutrition play in raising healthy children? You know, there's a classic work on nutrition. It's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. It was written by Weston Price. And Price was a dentist, and he saw atrocious development of the teeth and the, uh, the jaw of uh, children that he was working with. And he asked himself, not the usual question of what can we do about tooth decay, but what can we do to build a healthy set of teeth? Mm-hmm. And to research that, he traveled all around the world looking at primitive peoples and their uh, dental structure, their tooth decay, prior to the introduction of modern foods. And he found that there were a wide variety of different diets that promoted health of the teeth and the, the structure of the jaw and the structure of the face. But he found that there was a common factor in all of these primitive diets, and that was that they had... 10 times more fat-soluble vitamins and 4 times more vitamins and minerals in the diet than was in the diet of the average American of his day. Wow. Now, that was better than it is today, probably. 
So in America, we're under the impression that other countries are (laughs) malnourished. Is it possible that we can be malnourished with modern-day processed foods? We are the whole uh, modern industrialized world is probably malnourished to a certain extent. He was looking at people that were living on native diets, you know, uh, people in Africa living off the, the food that was available there. And he just traveled all over people that were eating largely fish for their diets in the remote, uh, people eating grains in the remote valleys in uh, Switzerland where there was no food processing. And so can you tell me a little bit more about his experiments? Uh, yeah, let me... Uh, Price didn't do experiments, but someone that did do experiments was um, Sir Robert McCarrison. Oh, okay. And Sir Robert McCarrison was a head of nutrition for the nation of India from 1928 to 1933. And he was interested in finding what kind of diet would be optimal for the health of the people of India. So what he did is he uh, took uh, uh, an analysis of the different diets of the people, the Hunza's, for example, and he was so impressed with the diet of the Hunza people that that became his uh, stock diet for his laboratory animals because uh, they were so healthy, he didn't have any illness or death from natural causes or infant uh, mortality wow. in these animals. And the, uh, the Hunzas and the, the Sikhs, <clears throat> uh, they had uh, good diets. They were eating whole wheat flour tortillas and butter and milk and vegetables, uh, legumes, raw vegetables, and uh, very small quantities of meat about once a week. <clears throat> and so... Uh, what McCarrison did is, in one of his experiments, he gave them the healthy diet, and then he gave another group of rats the British diet of his day. Well, the British diet was white bread and margarine and boiled vegetables and tin jam and tea and sugar and uh, milk. And it's interesting, those animals were smaller. They were prone to respiratory and digestive ailments. Uh, the rats were nervous. They tended to bite one another. <laughs> Their coats were dry, they uh, lacked the, the sheen of the fur, they developed uh, digestive ailments, respiratory problems, and at about the 60th day, the animals began to gang up and kill the other animals and oh eat them. <clears throat> so he actually had to separate his uh, animals on the British diet so they would not live in harmony with one another. He had no problem with uh, harmony and a peaceful society, and the animals were eating healthy foods. And these weren't different breeds of rats. These were the same. These were all the same breed of rats. Okay. Wow. And another uh, thing that he did is a different experiment is he duplicated the diets of the different peoples of India, and he was able to duplicate the health problems of the people in that area in the rats when he fed them those same diets. So that just shows you how tied to um, your physical health nutrition is in in rats. And 
maybe also in humans, which brings me to another question. You said that the rats on the British diet were biting each other, they had to be separated. It sounds like a behavioral problem. They were criminals. <laughs> they were criminal rats. So how does poor nutrition affect behavior? There's been a lot of research along those lines, <clears throat> although uh, not as much as should be done. But uh, one of the, uh, the writers, Alex Schaus, he uh, studied this in depth and wrote a book called uh, Diet, Crime, and Delinquency. Yeah. And in that book, he talks about how uh, low blood sugar and heavy metals and food allergies and malnutrition uh, contributed to people becoming alcoholics and uh, use of uh, street drugs and uh, led to crime and delinquency. And another person that did a very interesting book along these lines was Barbara Reed. She was a probation officer in Ohio. <clears throat> what she found was that prior to uh, beginning to do nutritional workups on the people that she was probation officer for, there was about a 90% recidivism rate. In other words, they would release the criminals and they'd be back in prison 90% uh, of the time. She began doing nutritional workups, particularly looking for uh, issues with blood sugar and heavy metal poisoning, things like lead and mercury poisoning. And when those, just those uh, two basic issues were dealt with, she reduced the recidivism rate by uh, a dramatic amount. It was like 80% of the people that followed the nutritional protocol never wound up in prison again. So for young children, um if you're raising a young child and they're they're really you know growing and everything and you're seeing maybe different health like behavior effects based on them eating cheetos versus a strawberry um would you say that behavior can be affected by poor nutrition in children young children very definitely okay um i've had for example, I had one situation where the fellow came in, he told me his grandson was hyperactive and they didn't know what to do with him. And uh, so I told him about different nutrients that would help and said probably one of the most helpful would be omega-3. So he got some salmon oil, started giving it to the boy, and all of that hyperactivity disappeared just with that one supplement. Wow. And, and so sometimes it's it's a lack of a nutrient, other times it's intolerance to a food. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of intolerance to uh, dairy products and sugar and chocolate and different things like that that can sugar in particular can trigger a lot of behavioral issues. What about aluminum poisoning or mercury poisoning or chlorine or something? <clears throat> uh, those things can play a role too. Heavy metals can have drastic effects on behavior. Uh, lead poisoning, for example, lowers IQ and can really contribute to violent behavior. Wow. And mercury, the same. Um, <clears throat> there's an expression, mad as a hatter. <laughs> and in England, the hatters all used mercury to uh, make the hats. Wow. And they all became insane. Interesting. Because uh, mercury goes right to the brain and destroys brain cells. 
So try to avoid mercury or get the like vitamin C or other kinds of nutrition that can, I think, help take the mercury out, right? Uh, nutrition can protect us from toxicity. Uh, one of the, the big problems is if a person's malnourished, they cannot excrete the aluminum or the lead or the mercury wow. or other toxins that happen to accumulate. And uh, as long as they're in the body, they tend to do damage of different types. And they'll affect both, both physical health and also uh, mental functioning. Which brings me to my next question. Um, how does poor nutrition impact physical health? Um, malnutrition can affect basically every kind of health. As I shared with uh, McCarrison's work, uh, when he fed animals the diet in north of India where there were Sikhs and Hunzas, those people had very, very few health problems. Of course, the health of the Hunzas is notorious. But in southern India, there were all kinds of uh, disabilities, uh, mental, develop, uh, mental defects. There were um, physical weakness. The, the bodies were weak compared to the Hunzas and the Sikhs. And it was just the difference in the diet. And he was able to duplicate those same uh, characteristics of every specific people group that had common problems. For example, one group might have a lot of digestive issues. When he fed the rats the diet of that particular people group, the rats would develop digestive wow. issues or respiratory issues or uh, whatever the case might be. And so when is the most important time in a person's development for good nutrition? Is it when they're a child before, while they're getting developed, or is it after they've had the ailments and the problems? Well, early in life, we're kind of building a foundation uh, for our health. So if you have malnutrition anywhere from pregnancy through the first uh, three years of life or so, that's going to tend to put a burden or a handicap on later development. Mm. Another really critical time is uh, around puberty. There's a lot of uh, mental changes going on in development. And so those two times can be critical. But malnutrition at any point can have long-term effects. For example, um, in World War II, uh, in the prisoner of war camps, they found that when these uh, American and uh, uh, British prisoners of war were malnourished by the Japanese, they um, developed what's called an acquired dependency for a larger amount of a nutrient than would normally be required. Mm. And Abram Hoffer talks about this, and he says, these people needed larger amounts of vitamin B3 than would normally be supplied by the diet. And if they did not get that, it would manifest in uh, things like uh, depression and schizophrenia. And then when you added back these large amounts of vitamin B3, um, that acquired dependency for the nutrient was overcome, and they were able to function much, much better. Wow. Um, so then, what is the difference between good nutrition and poor nutrition on health outcomes? Roger Williams was one of the nutrition pioneers, and he talks about a study where they fed children a good versus a poor diet. And the good diet was not an excellent diet. It was just a, a superior diet to the, 
the diet of the poor, the people that were on the poor diets. And they found a 22.6 IQ point difference wow. between the two groups. And they followed these children for seven years, and there was very little change over that seven-year period. As long as the poor diet was maintained, they made no progress in development. Wow. Um, also, uh, Williams, uh, as he's talking about these issues, he shares the story of uh, an experiment they did with rats and maze learning ability. A rat normally requires about 12.5 uh, microns of vitamin B1. When they gave rats only 3 microns, they became really dumb at learning mazes. <laughs> when they gave them 100 micrograms of B12, which is far beyond the normal RDA for a rat, they became super normal in their maze learning ability. That's just one nutrient. Yeah. <clears throat> Linus Pauling, in one of his books, talks about how uh, just a small amount of vitamin C, uh, the amount that you would get from a glass of orange juice, I think he talks about, uh, would in, that uh, resulted in a 3.6 IQ point difference in children. You mean from those that didn't have any vitamin C right. to just a glass of vitamin C? Well, just yeah, just the amount of vitamin C that would be in a glass of fresh orange juice. <laughs> wow. So, uh, I mean, these nutrients... Uh, any nutrient can uh, contribute probably to a better intellectual and, and physical performance. And if you combine them all together, you get a synergistic effect that's much greater than use of any individual nutrient by itself. That's so helpful. And so as we wrap this up, my final question is, what are some important principles for nutrition in children? One of the important things that people rarely realize is that nutrition is rarely perfect. Mm -hmm. um, you're never going to eat a perfect diet, even if you're um, doing everything you can, because that just doesn't happen in nature. One yeast cell will replicate itself a hundred times in 24 hours, and in a week you'd have a billion tons of yeast. And there's never been a yeast organism that had a perfect diet for a few weeks or you wouldn't have anything but yeast on the, the planet. Yeah. So there's always limitations to optimal nutrition. Roger Williams was the first scientist that he was aware of that actually studied the unique requirements of every cell in the body. And I think the whole concept of cellular nutrition is very important. <clears throat> we need to nourish ourselves at the cellular level. And different tissues have different requirements, which is why when you malnourish someone <clears throat> with different nutrients, you tend to get uh, different areas of the body being affected. For example, the thyroid needs iodine. So if you deprive the body of iodine, you're going to tend to get thyroid disorders. Or if you ingest a toxin that affects thyroid, like fluoride, you're going to uh, damage the thyroid gland. Mm. And um, the white blood cell <clears throat> that is our immune defense requires vitamin C. So if you're vitamin C deficient, your immunity tends to go. Wow. So uh, this whole cellular nutrition and the concept of the chain of life where all the nutrients together are important are really critical principles for nourishing your children. Don't give them just 
I had a, a roommate one time, and he was convinced that the only nutrient that was important was vitamin C. <laughs> Nutrition doesn't work that way. It's a complex of all the nutrients working together. And um, <clears throat> if a child can um, consume milk, um, a lot of people are afraid of milk. But what Roger Williams says is... Um, Quality milk fortifies nutrition. This is a direct quote from him. He says, Those who have experimented with feeding laboratory animals milk and milk products know that its value as a well-rounded food is outstanding and difficult to match <clears throat> with any other common food. Almost any animal consuming a diet free from milk or milk products will have its condition improved if some milk is added to the diet. It's like breastfeeding? Breastfeeding of an infant or... Um, certified raw milk for a, mm. an older child. And one of the things that occurred historically, uh, there's a book, I think it's called The Milk of Human Kindness is Not Pasteurized. Yeah. And uh, the doctor who wrote that book points out that when they first introduced pasteurized milk, there were all these court cases, and the doctors were all testifying in court. They could use raw milk as a therapeutic measure for illness in children, whereas with pasteurized milk, they were not getting the same benefits. So the, the more you can leave these foods unprocessed, uh, the better. One of the things that frequently happens with dairy products is they're fractionated and the fat is removed. And Weston Price uh, felt that it was the, the fatty components of the, the diet the vitamin A and the vitamin D and the omega-3s and the vitamin K uh, that uh, help to build healthy bones and teeth. And so if you're doing all non-fat yogurts and non-fat milks, you're not getting those fat-soluble nutrients and you're actually robbing yourself of one of the, the major two classes of the vitamins and you're going to suffer the nutritional consequences of that. Wow, this has been extremely helpful. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, everybody, for joining us in this episode of our podcast. Feel free to reach out with any questions at samson12.com. That's S-A-M-P-S-O-N-1-2.com. Okay, great. Until next time.